Capital One has a fresh take on banking. Now you can open a new savings account in about five minutes and earn five times the national average. Banking with Capital One means five times the savings toward your dream honeymoon, or five times the savings toward your family's ultimate vacation, even five times the savings toward just feeling good about saving. It's time to make your savings goals come true. This is Banking Reimagined. What's in your wallet? Capital One and a member FDIC. I'm Zani Minton Beddoes, The Economist's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to Editor's Picks. Each week, we select three of the defining stories from the paper. We think they're essential pieces of insight and analysis that will help inform you on the go. You can listen to them in just a moment. Now, over to one of my colleagues to tell you what's coming up. Thanks, Zani. It's the 11th of July. I'm Josie Delap. Our cover story this week, America's economy is riding high. The stock market is going gangbusters and inflation is very low. The expansion will soon be the country's longest on record. What could bring it to an end? Next, India's government is on the hunt for illegal immigrants. But the campaign is actually aimed at Muslims, including many citizens. The country's ruling political party is gnawing away at the foundations of Indian democracy. And finally, the extravagant language used by recruiters is getting out of hand. If a job advert seems aimed at superheroes, you should run away faster than a speeding Batmobile. First up, by the end of July, America's economy will have been growing for 121 months. Around the world, investors, businesses and central bankers are grappling with a startling fact. At the end of July, America's economy will have been growing for 121 months, the longest run since records began in 1854, according to the NBER, a research body. History suggests there will be a recession soon, and plenty of people are gloomy. Bond markets have been sounding the alarm as long-term interest rates sink below short-term ones, often a harbinger of a downturn. Manufacturing firms are wary. Indices of business confidence are tumbling. Yet equity investors are still buoyant. The stock market is going gangbusters, rising by 19% so far this year. And in June, America's economy created a whopping 224,000 new jobs, more than twice as many as needed to keep up with the growth of the workforce. The result is a puzzle that matters a great deal. America's economy accounts for a quarter of global output, so if it stumbles, the world will too. But if it proves able to extend the cycle a lot longer, it may be time to rewrite the rules for how all rich economies behave. The conflicting signals reflect an unusually sluggish and stretched expansion. Some of that is to be expected after the worst financial crisis in 80 years, but as our briefing explains, it is also owing to deeper changes in America's $21 trillion economy. Growth is slow but more stable as activity has shifted to services and intangible assets. Thanks to new regulations and the recent memory of the bust, there are few signs of wild mortgage lending, overinvestment or reckless financial firms. Inflation is remarkably subdued. 
These forces mean that a placid expansion can continue well beyond historical norms, but also suggest that the way it will eventually end will be different. Recessions used to be triggered by housing bubbles, price surges or industrial busts. Now you should worry about globally interconnected firms, a financial system addicted to cheap money, and a political system that is toying with extreme policies because living standards are not rising fast enough. Average GDP growth during this expansion has been a mere 2.3%, much lower than the 3.6% that was seen in America's three previous expansions. That reflects some deep malaises. The workforce is ageing. Big firms hoard profits and invest less. Productivity growth has been slow. Robert Gordon, an economist, worries that America's genius for innovation is flagging. Emojis and bitcoins are no substitute for breakthroughs such as jet engines or the Internet. That is the bad news. The good news is that the economy may be less volatile. A third of America's 20th century recessions were caused by industrial slumps or oil price shocks, according to Goldman Sachs. Today, manufacturing is just 11% of GDP, and each dollar of output requires a quarter less energy than in 1999. Services have become even more vital, at 70% of output. Instead of fickle factories and Florida condos, investment has shifted to intellectual property, which now accounts for more than a quarter of the total. After the searing experience of 2008, the value of the housing stock is 143% of GDP, well below the peak of 188%. Banks are rammed full of capital. Most remarkable of all is very low inflation, which has averaged 1.6% over the course of the expansion. In many past downturns, the jobs market overheated, causing inflation and leading the Federal Reserve to hit the brakes. Today, the dynamics are different. The unemployment rate has fallen to 3.7%, close to the lowest in half a century, but wage growth is only a tepid 3%. Workers have less bargaining power in a globalised economy. The Fed's credibility helps too. Most people believe that it can keep long-run inflation at about 2%. Given that racing prices are less of a worry and that it lacks the ammunition to deal with a serious downturn, the Fed is being more active at signalling that it will ease policy when growth dips. This week, the Fed signalled it would soon nudge rates down from today's 2.25 to 2.5 to keep growth going. All this supports the idea that the familiar triggers for recession are still absent and that the moderately good times can roll on for years yet. The trouble with this logic is that just as the economy has changed, so have the risks. Inevitably, it is hard to identify exactly what might go wrong, but three new kinds of problems loom large. First, America's glossy corporate champions have unfamiliar vulnerabilities. Although fewer make physical goods, most rely on global production chains that are being shaken by the trade war. This is depressing investment and could yet produce a shock. Imagine if Apple was cut off from its factories in China. 
Tech firms, meanwhile, now account for a third of all investment by listed firms, including intellectual property. Other businesses outsource their need for IT services to a few giants. One of them, Alphabet, spent $45 billion in the past year, five times more than Ford. But 85% of its sales come from advertising, which has been cyclical in the past. It and other tech firms also face a regulatory storm. The second risk is financial. Although house prices and the banks have been tamed, total private debts remain high by historical standards at 250% of GDP. An edifice of asset prices and borrowing rests on the assumption of permanently low and stable interest rates, making it more fragile than it looks. If rates rise, there will be distress among some firms and trouble in debt markets. There was a sell-off in late 2018. If, by contrast, the Fed has to cut rates to near zero for a prolonged period to sustain growth, it could weaken the banks, as Europe has found. The last danger is politics. As the economy has trodden a narrow path, the boundaries of economic policy have been blown wide apart, partly out of frustration at a decade of sluggish wages. President Donald Trump has tried to gin up growth by cutting taxes and attacking the Fed. Most Democrats are keen to let rip on government spending. More extreme policies hover in the wings. On the left, modern monetary theory, a kind of money printing and massive state intervention, are popular. One of Mr Trump's new nominees to the Fed board supports a gold standard. The greatest threat to America's long and placid expansion is that a new era of wild policy may be just beginning. Capital One has a fresh take on banking. Now you can open a new savings account in about five minutes and earn five times the national average. Banking with Capital One means five times the savings toward your dream honeymoon or five times the savings toward your family's ultimate vacation, even five times the savings toward just feeling good about saving. It's time to make your savings goals come true. This is Banking Reimagined. What's in your wallet? Capital One and a member FDIC. Next, the openly anti-Muslim crackdown on illegal immigrants in India. Amit Shah, India's home minister, calls them termites and infiltrators. The government will hunt them down and throw them into the sea, he thunders. Unfortunately, it is not just the standard bluster from a nativist politician railing against illegal immigration. Last year, bureaucrats in the Indian state of Assam, which has a population of about 33 million people, produced a list of more than 4 million of its residents whom they consider foreigners without any right to live there. A further 100,000 people were deemed non-citizens in June. Mr Shah insists that all these people will be deported. In practice, neighbouring Bangladesh, from which they are said to have migrated, will not accept them, since in most cases there is no evidence that they are anything other than Indians too poor and uneducated to navigate the complex bureaucracy of citizenship. 
But even if the threatened mass deportations never take place, the process of declaring people aliens and hauling lots of them off to internment camps is not only a rank injustice, but also a threat to stability. The supposed illegal immigrants are overwhelmingly Muslim. The purge is therefore exacerbating sectarian tension in a state that saw bloody Hindu-Muslim riots as recently as 2012, when some 400,000 people were displaced. Yet Mr. Shah considers the campaign in Assam against illegal immigrants such a success that he wants to replicate it throughout the entire country. Indigenous Assamese have long complained that they are being swamped in their own homeland by migrants from Bengal, the densely populated region to the south. In colonial times there was such an influx, since there were no borders to stop poor Bengalis moving north in search of a better life. Assamese nationalists, pointing to Bengali's ever higher share of the state's population, insist the flow of migrants continues to this day, even though the Muslim part of Bengal has become a separate country, Bangladesh. Muslims make up a third of Assam's population. The state's shifting demography is mainly the result of a higher birth rate among Bengalis already in Assam, not migration. But that has not stopped the Bharatiya Janata Party, or BJP, which dominates both the state and national governments, from vowing to collar lots of illegal immigrants. And since so few of them exist, more had to be invented. The law the government is eagerly enforcing requires all residents to prove that they or their forebears were in the state by March 24, 1971, that is a big hurdle for poor farmers and itinerant workers, especially women, many of them illiterate. Suspects can be denounced as non-citizens by anonymous tips, an invitation to abuse. There have been lots of mistakes, such as a decorated war hero who was declared not to be Indian. Roughly 60% of those found not to be citizens at the 100 foreigners' tribunals the state government is setting up were not even present for the proceedings. Some 3.7 million of the 4 million people declared illegal immigrants are challenging their designation. There has been a spate of suicides tied to adverse rulings. Worse, like so many of the BJP's schemes, the hunt for illegal immigrants is openly anti-Muslim. Some Hindus have been caught in the dragnet, but Mr. Shah says they do not need to worry, since the government has drafted a bill to make it easy for Hindu refugees to claim citizenship. Christian, Buddhist, Jain, Parsi and Sikh refugees can too, just not Muslims. Anything that polarizes voters by religion benefits the BJP, especially in nearby West Bengal, where Muslims are over a quarter of the population, and the BJP is locked in a political knife fight with a regional party it accuses of coddling Muslims, the Trinamool Congress. West Bengal is one of the places where Mr. Shah has railed against termites, but it is not phantom foreigners, rather the BJP, through its stirring of sectarian tensions, that is gnawing away at the foundations of Indian democracy.
And finally, does your CV list any ninja experience? There is an old army joke about a sergeant major who asks his platoon whether any of them are interested in music. When four hands go up, the sergeant says, Right, lads, you can carry this grand piano down to the officer's mess. Job recruitment has become more sophisticated since that story first did the rounds. Today's careers require a lot more than just raw muscle, but that sometimes makes jobs hard to define. The unfortunate result is a form of adjective inflation in recruitment ads as employers attempt to make routine tasks sound exciting. Candidates must sometimes wonder whether they are applying for a 9-to-5 role or to become part of the Marvel Avengers franchise. On Indeed, a recruitment website, a cocktail bar was recently looking for bartenders who are people-focused, quality-driven and have superhero hospitality powers. The ability to give customers the correct change was not mentioned. Another British company advertised for a call centre ninja, a superhero in people. A job description which sounds a little over the top for what was, in fact, a role at an insurance broker in Isleworth. In case you think that advertisement was an aberration, Indeed also featured jobs for a black belt prioritisation ninja and another demanding... A ninja-like attention to detail. Short of turning up for the interview dressed head-to-toe in black and then sneaking up behind the managing director at his desk, it is hard to see how candidates could demonstrate their ninjiness. Not all companies require candidates to possess the qualities of a Japanese warrior, of course. Some, in an echo of the 1960s slogan, Make Love, Not War, require applicants to be passionate. The Blue Water Shopping Mall in south-east England was looking for passionate sales-driven brand ambassadors, while passionate crew members were needed at a pretzel bakery in West London for a wage of just £8.23, that's $10.32, an hour. Bartleby feels passionate about his wife, the fortunes of England's sports teams and the alarming notion that Boris Johnson might become his country's prime minister. But when it comes to work, passion may not always be the most appropriate emotion – Would patients prefer a passionate surgeon or one renowned for keeping a cool head? As emotions go, pride in one's performance seems important, as does a degree of empathy for colleagues and other people, customers, patients, readers, affected by what you do. In any case, passion is pretty hard to maintain consistently for 40 hours a week, month after month. In certain jobs, particularly in the caring professions, people's devout belief in the social usefulness of their role persuades them to put up with long hours and low pay. But selling pretzels or shoes is not one of them. Instead of talking about passion, employers should rather be asking for your enthusiasm. Workers may not learn to love their jobs, but with the right attitude, they can get the enjoyment from the simple act of performing their task well. As well as keeping employees content, this ought to be enough for most bosses. Alas, another newish management mantra is bring your whole self to work. This slogan, dreamed up by Mike Robbins, a motivational speaker, seems well-intentioned. Workers should not have to suppress their personalities. They should not hide the fact that they are gay, for example, or caring for children or elderly relatives at home. But it is easy to see how the slogan can be turned into the idea that workers should give 100% commitment all the time. That is asking too much, It is great when people enjoy their work, but the fact is, a lot of people are doing their jobs to pay the bills and dreaming of the few weeks in the year when they can take a holiday. They may have hobbies and interests outside work, but the word outside is key. 
Those are the moments when the company has no claim on its employees. Workers should be allowed to leave parts of themselves at home. Job applicants should take their cue from the kind of advertisements that companies place. Think of it as a first date. If the other person started talking of marriage and how many children you will have together, you might avoid seeing them a second time. So, if a job advert talks about passion or superheroes, run away faster than a speeding Batmobile. Being a ninja should be reserved for teenage mutant turtles. That's just a sample of the stories on offer in the paper. With a subscription, you can read or listen to all of what we do, so please subscribe. Go to economist.com slash radio offer to get your first 12 issues for $12 or £12. That's economist.com slash radio offer. Thanks for listening. I'm Josie Delap. In London, this is The Economist. Capital One has a fresh take on banking. Now you can open a new savings account in about five minutes and earn five times the national average. Banking with Capital One means five times the savings toward your dream honeymoon or five times the savings toward your family's ultimate vacation. Even five times the savings toward just feeling good about saving. It's time to make your savings goals come true. This is Banking Reimagined. What's in your wallet? Capital One and a member FDIC.